Good morning. I see up-and-coming talent out here in this audience. Uh, you don't want me playing the piano. <laughs> I know about one thing of chopsticks, and that's about it. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for the decorations back here. Everything's gorgeous. It, I need all the help I can get. I'm looking. I'm watching. But I do appreciate it, and uh, a lot of you have given me uh, cards and, and gifts, and I want to thank you for that. Give me a minute. I'll be fine. As we come toward Christmas, there are certain sounds of Christmas. And I've heard them all the way back in October. Certain commercials come on TV, it just reminds me, oh no, here we go again. Uh, but there's all kinds of sounds that we hear. We hear the sounds of bells on sidewalks, people begging for money. We hear the sounds of choirs singing. We hear, as you walk through stores, they pipe it through and you can't help but hear different Christmas songs being played on the radio, on the television, and even in the parking lot when somebody takes my place, they're going to hear about it. We hear all kinds of sounds. And even among the joyful sounds of the holly jolly Christmas time, we also hear sounds of grief and pain. This is kind of a follow-up to my sermon last week that I shared with you. And it's very biblical, but it might be one that's difficult for some. I know it's difficult for me. I had someone ask me last week, why did you do that to yourself? I think it was George. It's cathartic for me. And I want this to be cathartic for you as well. Any one of us, can turn on the television and watch the news and read or hear in the newspaper about the tragedies around our world, the, the grieving that takes place. And I think about those in the six or seven states where the tornadoes went through who had trees set up, presents, gifts to give, and all of a sudden they have nothing, but they still say, we have each other. Among their despair, their heartbreak, and their pain. They can still wake up next to somebody they love and have a good day no matter where they may be living. Back in 1988, I read a story here not too long ago about a Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, just a few days, like today, of a family of five Stepfather, mother, and her three children. And in this story, this account in the paper on the news, this stepfather dragged his, his wife, the mother of these ch three children, outside, and he was beating her to a pulp. And those children, all they could do was stand and watch as he stabbed her to death and then backed the car over her body and ran to get out of town away from the authorities. Merry Christmas? Not so much. Then I read about 22 foreign sailors 
who were stranded on a ship four miles off of the U.S. coast. And it was just a few days before Christmas, but five months before, the owners of that ship, as well as the officers, abandoned that ship and left the crew by themselves. These 22 foreign sailors, all alone on a leaking ship with no food and no fuel, stranded. They hadn't been paid for months. They hadn't seen their family in over a year. And through their tears of hopelessness and their prayers, it was not so much a Merry Christmas. Sad story, but true. Let's go back 2,000 years uh, from today, a little more than 2,000 years, to that very first Christmas in Bethlehem. We hear sounds there as well. We hear the, the busyness of people walking the streets and business people trading and buying and selling, the hustle and bustle of just everyday life. We hear the sounds of animals as they're walking through the streets. We even begin to hear angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Peace? Peace. Even among the despair. We see the excited shepherds come to see the Christ child. We even see Mary. I'm sure she was holding that little child in her arms, maybe singing a lullaby to comfort that child, to give comfort to the Lord of all creation, now in baby form, who needs a diaper change, who needs to learn to grow in life. But sometime later, we will hear the sounds that are going to be replaced by the shouts of soldiers, the cries of children, and mothers and fathers and siblings wailing and moaning and groaning and, and mourning for a different reason. And to understand what I'm saying, I want us to look again at what was read here this morning. I appreciate Derek reading and all those who will be up here doing that. But Mary and Joseph were now living a few months later in a home, maybe with relatives. We don't know. But during, it was during this time that the Magi, that we call the wise men, are, 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 are coming to worship him. Coming to give him the honor, the glory that he deserves. And you know this story. So if you're not there already, turn to Matthew chapter 2 with me and, and look at this with me as we go through it and read it and see, see in detail what was read already. The Magi have already returned, left Bethlehem and returned to their own homes. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, one more time. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through the Lord, by the Lord through the prophet, 
saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in the districts all around from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This passage reveals something to us. It reveals to us a a jealous, an insecure, and even on the point of insane king who heard a rumor of a child being born that was going to come and take his seat. That was going to cast him off of the throne and this child was going to take his place of authority. The Bible tells us that when he couldn't find that particular child because time had passed, that he made a decree that all of his soldiers would go through all the different districts of this particular country. And any two-year-old and under that you find, kill it. Take its life. Because I have a fear. When we talk about the sounds of Christmas, maybe we need to remember the sounds and the cries of these children, of these soldiers, and the shouts of wailing parrots. Because these are the sounds of Christmas. They're part of what God communicates to us. And I want to go deeper than just the the, uh, sadness of what was said. Go deeper into the reason why this Christ child came in the first place. My first point is this. There is suffering. There is suffering. We know this. And if that's the case... What is God telling us through giving us His Son into this world? He's telling us, I know they're suffering because of Adam and Eve way back when. They brought that into the world. I know it's here. But God is telling us, I'll go with you. I will bear it with you. I will be there for you. Jesus said in Matthew 28, just before He ascended into heaven, I will be with you. How long? Always. Not just a certain period of time and then the rest of you are on your own. But I will be with you always. He is here this morning. And that should be the reason we want to come together as God's people. Because we are the body of Christ and He partakes with us. Because we are the kingdom of God. The Bible, this was brought up in class this morning. The Bible is always honest. It doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't sugarcoat things in life, but it gives us reason why it tells us what it says. So when, when it tells us about this first Christmas, it, it not only tells us about the angels singing in heaven, glory to God in the highest. It not only tells us about shepherds who came to worship and, and wise men who brought the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But my friend, it also tells us about Herod about the soldiers, and about the murder of children. I believe it's impossible for us to know what it was like to be a parent back at this time. We cannot even begin to feel what that was like. 
Can you imagine having a child and you wait nine months as you see in mama's belly, that baby grows and you feel it kick and, and you, you, you feel so many things. Mom gets up at two in the morning. She woke me up again because she had to go to the bathroom. You begin to see all of this take place as the day comes when I'm ready to go to the hospital. So you go and you deliver this baby and with tears in your eyes you are just so overjoyed that God has given you this little life in your hands to care for, to love, to nurture, and to bring up in the ways of God. And all of a sudden, the sparkle in your eye, that child that you have grown to love, someone breaks down your door, grabs that child, takes it outside as you watch frantically as they take its life. It's not a good Christmas. Pain and grief, loss, suffering are still a part of the Christmas scene today. And we all know this. There are many who are suffering in these pews today. There are many of us who've lost someone, whether it's recent or even a few years back, that we still feel that at certain times of the year. Their birthday, your anniversary... Christmas, holidays when family gathers together. Still grieving. And for many, there's just a little less reason to have joy. We think, anyway. But Christmas still comes with suffering. And it tells us that God doesn't guarantee to take, us, take it away. But He promises us I will get you through it. I will be by your side, always be with you to walk you through that, that time in your life. God did not remove Christ's suffering. The Bible tells us he, he went through it with him. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, I put this in at the last minute. It says, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he what? Suffered. He learned obedience. I read about a man. His name is, if I'm pronouncing it properly, Eli Weissel. He was a Jewish author. and He wrote a book entitled simply, Night. Night. He was in a concentration camp in Germany during World War II. He was forced into labor to work for these people. And one day, one day after they'd been working out in the world, they were left camp under the guard of soldiers. They came back in and they noticed in the center of town or in the center of this uh, concentration camp, somebody had built gallows. There were three ropes hanging ready to execute someone. And they were all forced to stand there and watch as two men walked up on this gallows Two men is not so bad. It's bad enough, I should say. But then a child, about eight, nine years old, was forced to go up there, stand on a chair, and they kicked the chairs out from under them, and the weight of the two men broke their necks immediately, and they were gone. But for 30 minutes, those men were forced to watch that young child writhing in agony, trying to get his breath until he finally gave up the ghost. 
in that awful moment, one of the men behind Mr. Weasel, who was supposedly a godly man in the Jewish realm, he said these words, not believing Mr. Weasel anyway. He said, you say there's a God. Where is he? Where is he now as we watch those bo- that boy writhe in agony and those two men that we know get killed? Where is your God? And Mr. Weasel turned around and looked him square in the eye and he said, he's right there hanging from a rope. Now I don't know what Mr. Weasel was trying to say, what he was really trying to communicate, but I do know that there are folks in this world, maybe in this room, who have witnessed some horrible things in their life and it is a visual thing in their mind that they can never get rid of completely. It's still there during Christmas. During the joyous, most joyous time of the year, people say. Where is God? Many will ask. My friend, our God is not far away. Our God is not beyond the stars. He's not created everything and gone out to take a vacation, letting man destroy himself through global warming or or some pandemic that man sets up and starts to kill people, or through some nuclear destruction, the man will just take himself out and then God says, I'll come and take care of the rest. God is not far away from us. He's here. He's present with us even today as we are in this room. The word Emmanuel means what? God with us. Hold on to that. Never let that go. God is with me. And I can count on that. I can trust that. That's the message I find in Christmas. If you are hurting, God is hurting with you. If you suffer right now the loss of a loved one or the loss of something in your life, God is there to walk with you through it. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. He's never left since He came, and He will never leave. I've heard people say, well, God just seems so far from me. If God seems far away from you, guess who moved? God has not moved. God will not budge from his position on truth and holiness. My second point is this. There's uncertainty in the world. Now, every one of us know this, sitting here, and I think about Audrey and and the family there, uncertainty. I think about some of our older folks who are are suffering. And I appreciate Bob Bailey being here. He's here for Sunday school. That should put some of us to shame. That man loves the Lord that much, and I appreciate that. But there's uncertainty in his family around that. There's uncertainty in other places in this congregation. We live in uncertainty. Think of the uncertainty that Mary went through. Mary and Joseph went through as they packed up the few belongings that they had and were told to just take up and... Go. Leave. Go to Egypt. I've traveled to a few foreign countries in my life uh, as being in the Navy and being a preacher, going to different places to preach and to, to encourage people. Every time I've gone, no matter where it was, I was with somebody who had been there already, somebody who knew where to stay safely, to eat safely, where to go, what to see, what to avoid... Somebody had always been there with me. 
And maybe some of you have traveled as well, and you understand what I'm speaking of here. But Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt, not knowing where they would stay. They didn't have a hotel reservation on which they could rely. They didn't know what the future held for them. All they knew was, God told us to go. God is leading the way. And if God leads the way, you know what? He knows the way. And He knows where we're going to end. They'd been told by the angel that Jesus Christ was to be the Savior of the world. This little baby is going to what? This is the Messiah who was promised from thousands of years ago. This is the one. Uncertainty. How are we going to raise the Son of God? How are we going to know exactly what to do? Exactly where to go? How to do this? There was so much uncertainty in their lives. And I know even today there's a lot of uncertainty in our lives as well. Teenagers... They sometimes wonder, will I ever graduate from high school? Parents wonder, will they ever graduate from high school? Teenagers wonder, will I ever get accepted to the college of my choice? And if I do get accepted, how difficult are the classes? Because it will be different than high school or junior high school when you get to college. Will I know my major Or as I've seen people go to college with one thing in mind and they'll change it once or twice. Uncertainty. Even parents, those of us who are older, we wonder sometimes, will I have a job next year with the way things are going? Will I ever get the house paid for? My parents wondered if they would have any any one of their six kids amount to anything. They're probably still wondering that today. Us older generation have uncertainty about certain things we begin to feel in our body. Should I see a doctor or should I avoid him and and it will take care of itself? It will go away. I'll feel better tomorrow and then tomorrow comes and, oh, I still have that problem. Should I avoid the doctor or should I go and have it looked at? You see, life is uncertain. But like you and me, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph had one great advantage, like you and me. They had God leading the way, God telling them where to go, when to go, and He would lead the way and guide them all the way through it. We can have that confidence as well, even in uncertainty. The baby Jesus, I see in Scripture, was as He was traveling... He was jostled about either on the back of a donkey or in the arms of Mary and Joseph as they walked on uncertain roads with potholes from big trucks. Just want to see if you're listening. But they had uncertainty here. But but this little boy who was tossed about in the arms of Mary and Joseph would one day say, would one day say that God cares for you more than he does the birds of the air or the lilies of the field. 
If God can care more for, the, for you than the, the, uh, the, the lilies of the field or, or the birds of the air, He will take care of you. He will put clothes on your back. He will make sure you have food to eat and a warm place to worship and a warm place to live and people who love you and would do anything for you if you simply ask. As Christians, we have the advantage of knowing that while we do not know what tomorrow holds, we do know who holds our tomorrows. My friend, that's what we need to hold on to in our lives today. There's uncertainty in life, absolutely. But even in the uncertainty of life, we have one certainty that we can hold on to that will never change, never diminish. And that is that God is in control and He is the message of Christmas. My last point, and this is a difficult one because, but yet it's beautiful at the same time. God tells us that there's death. There is death. It's a natural part of life. We cannot get away from it. Death is a part of life. But God says, through this son who came in a manger, I'll get you through that as well. Many in this room understand this. Like I said, whether it's been recent or even a few years, we understand this because it's still raw for us. There were some brutal deaths along, along the way a long time ago in Bethlehem. Brutal deaths that took place because of this child coming into the, air, the world. We, heard the, we hear the, the cries of children, innocent children, as some selfish king decides, you're going to take my place? He killed people. So they wouldn't take his place. Jesus died himself so we could take his place in heaven. Oh, what a glorious thought. One child was saved. One child was carried off to Egypt, yet that one child became a victim himself. But his death was different. Because he died on the cross, not for himself, but for the likes of you and me. Sinful creatures all around this world. And because Jesus came to be that sacrifice for us, we know that death was defeated. We know that death was defeated. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. The Bible is very honest in telling us that death is real. And we need to face that. We need to be ready for that at any moment because it could happen before Christmas this year. We need to be ready for that. Just as suffering is uncertain. Just as life is uncertain. But my friend, this is the message of Christmas that I hear loud and clear from the manger to the cross. That my God took away the sting of death. He took away the other resurrection. Again, that was mentioned in class this morning. A resurrection to a place we do not want to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 51 to 58. Christ said, or Paul says here, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and the, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? In other words, you don't have one any longer. Grave, where is your victory? The grave has no victory for those who are in Christ. The sting of sin is de uh, death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brother, therefore, my beloved brother, and on the basis of everything you just heard, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I have a couple illustrations to come down to the end here. There's a true story of a family who lost a seven-year-old son to an accident. And they had experienced all of the dynamics of grief that they were told by experts and counselors. They listened to them. They seemed to be following through all of those stages, doing pretty well, until Christmas time. Christmas came and the mother began to open boxes of the ornaments that they had stored away for a while, and she would pull one out remembering this is the one that the little, my little boy had, had made. And it brought tears to her eyes. And her other son, about 10 years old, noticed mom crying. He went to her and he said, Mama, you miss Dougie a lot, don't you? She says, oh, I miss him more than you'll ever know. And this little boy in all of his wisdom of a 10-year-old said, Mommy, aren't we celebrating the birth of Jesus here? She said, yes, we are. He said, Mommy, doesn't that mean that, that, that Jimmy is now in heaven with God? And she stopped and thought, I guess you're right. And then little Doug, Jimmy said, Mama, that means that he's having the best Christmas, never-ending Christmas like we will not enjoy until we leave this world. Mama, Dougie's okay. See, Christmas, that's what it means. It means suffering. It means uncertainty. And it means death. But we don't stop there. Christmas is the reality of a resurrection into a new life in Christ, both here and in eternity. One last illustration. This is supposed to be true. There was a preacher who him and his family were putting out in their front yard a nativity scene. 
And they all began to carry out the different things to make sure that everything was in the right place. They had the, the baby Jesus was there with the, the little cradle or, or box that they had him in. They had shepherds that surrounded it. They had a star up above it. Mary and Joseph were there with the wise men and some gifts that they were giving. And then here come little Scotty with his favorite toy. He began to walk out with one of those inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex. Stood about so tall, taller than anything in that nativity scene. And his father looked at, he went to him, he got down on his knees, he said, he said, Scotty, dinosaurs didn't exist but two, like two or three thousand years, thousands of years before this ever came about. This is not appropriate, Scotty, to have a dinosaur towering over the nativity scene. They tried to talk him out of it, but he was insistent that it should be there. So they put it there. The father said, with reluctance, fearing what the neighbors might think, they stepped back and they looked at everything they had there. And he said, I changed my mind. That does seem to fit. Because every one of us in our life, like Christ in the cradle, had some great, horrible monster overlooking, wanting to take away their peace, wanting to take away the joy of this baby being born and the very reason for which he had been born. We all have monsters, Tyrannosaurus Rex in our life, towering over us saying, I'm going to get you. I'm going to make you unfaithful. You don't need this kind of stuff. Stay away from it. And the devil is out to devour us. But then Christmas comes and it reminds us of a baby in a manger that is stronger than anything that the old devil can give us. Stronger than anything the old devil can give us. God has given us the victory of the gift of His Son. And my friend, that's a gift that keeps on giving. We're going to sing an invitation as Shelby comes this morning to play for us. The greatest gift you could ever receive is Christ. But my friend, the greatest gift you could ever give would be Christ to yourself and yourself to Christ. I pray that if you have a decision this morning as a, as a Christian who's fallen back and who's let the things of the world take place, take place in your life that should not be there, that this is the day you walk this aisle and you say, God, forgive me. Help me. I'm weak and I only need your strength. If you're not a Christian according to the Word of God, and I pray that you listen to what the King of Kings has told us to do. Repent and be baptized in the name of, in the power, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit in your life. If you need to make a decision, what a great day to do it. Let's stand and sing our hymn of decision.